welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And I'm your other co-host, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And we've got, as always, a wonderful poem for you today. Before we delve in, thank you to all who have rated us and reviewed us. I think we inched one rating up. We're at 29 now. I think we were at 28. Not that we're really counting too intensely, but certainly we check it every day. We're not counting it intensely, but we are checking it constantly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So if you have a moment, give us a five-star rating, give us a review. It really helps the algorithms. It helps other people find our show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it means a lot. Today's poem is by one of my all-time favorite poets, Lucille Clifton. Uh, The poem is called At Last We Killed the Roaches. Uh, And Lucille Clifton is, I think, one of the the great titans of American literature and poetry. She, I think, is often doesn't get enough attention. She was Maryland's Poet Laureate. She won the National Book Award. Uh, She was nominated for the Pulitzer twice uh, in poetry. She just has an immense body of work. There's a great collected poems that came out, I think, in 2010 that I have in Treasure uh, with the foreword by Toni Morrison. Yeah, she's just, she's really wonderful. And um, this is one of my favorite poems by her. I'm excited to dive in. At Last We Killed the Roaches by Lucille Clifton. At last we killed the roaches, Mama and me. She sprayed, I swept the ceiling, and they fell, dying onto our shoulders, in our hair covering us with red. The tribe was broken, the cooking pots were ours again, and we were glad. Such cleanliness was grace when I was twelve. Only for a few nights, and then not much. My dreams were blood, my hands were blades, and it was murder, murder all over the place. Yikes. (laughs) Can I just say, this poem spoke to me because, and I kid you not, literally last night, on three separate occasions, my cat woke me because he was identifying the presence, not killing and then removing like a good boy, just the largest roaches in the history of existence. Um, oh. It was my job to kill the roaches. But having this poem in mind and taking part in that, let me reiterate, on three separate occasions in the night when I was trying to slumber, yeah, this poem was really speaking to my condition. I'm not 12, and it wasn't with my mom, it was with my cat. But... <laughs> Man, am I not a fan of roaches. And yes, at 2 a.m. it sure was murder, murder all over the place. (laughs) So I know it's such an evocative poem. And when I was living in New York, we had oh god the worst roach infestation. And I won't go into the details, except it got into our coffee pot. (laughs) And... We had made some coffee and noticed that it was a very special brew. No, 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 no. This is so bad. Yes, it was horrible. Uh, And then we really 
try to get the landlord to get the exterminator, which obviously they kept saying they did, but obviously were lying about it because they're assholes. And then my roommate bought like literally every kind of cockroach killer and we just went insane. And yes, my dreams were blood. Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the like the first kind of immediate pleasures I have of this poem is just it's just such a great sort of description and like I get to live in this kind of experience of the poem that I also share and even if I didn't just feels like it's so visceral it's just like a a perfect moment captured in time in a poem which I love like literally visceral because even though uh dying onto our shoulders in our hair covering us with red that's not really blood. I think that's the sort of reddish brown color of a cockroach. But at the same time, it's not dissimilar from blood or dried blood raining down from the ceiling. And you just get these, I don't know, at least I get images of just like bugs split open eating out and just a bunch of gross, like literal viscera. And there's such a sense of like, not just the grossness, but like the, the battle like it begins at last we killed the roaches and so you know that this has been going on for quite some time the tribe was broken there's a real like the cockroaches have a you know they're like an enemy like force like i just imagine like in video games when you have to like destroy the alien whatevers and you're just like going crazy the way that they talk about this isn't at all what lucille clifton was going for but like the threat t that's implied by saying you know the tribe was broken is such like an uh, a huge way of talking about bugs but it it like captures the kind of total like one thing that again just getting back to the this experience and like it's captured so well like especially roaches when they're when they take over it's like the whole place is infected like you just feel like you can't do anything i don't know like you could do stuff but it, it's like it's not just you see one it's like you know they're everywhere and like i feel like i get paranoid and like when like the cooking pots were ours again is like such a real thing where it's like they've you know the tribe has come and and taken over your your tools and your livelihood. Clifton complicates this feeling, but the the description of it I think is like very true and it brings up a kind of mentality of a per of humans that humans can have this sort of us versus them or whatever that like in this context is I mean nobody's like trying to defend roaches, but has a kind of insidious side to it thinking about you know breaking tribes and which which kind of the cool thing about this poem then is that the you know the speaker was 12 but then it, this experience clearly haunted uh the speaker in some way you know and then you get this end you know my dreams were blood my hands were blades and it was murder murder all over the place so there's this kind of like I was possessed by this fervor to like get rid of all the bugs and then it's like 
my God, what have I done <laughs> kind of thing, which I think is just such a real moment of like in small ways and large how people can become so consumed by a way of being that then once the situation has ended, it's like, like, was I really capable of that, basically? And there, it's interesting, there is another poem that Lucio Clifton has written that's pretty similar, actually, to... It's, like, based off of a similar kind of experience, and maybe we can talk more about the connection between the two later, but just the beginning of that poem, it goes, Cruelty. Don't talk to me about cruelty or what I am capable of. Anyway, those are, like, some kind of scattered, gushy thoughts. Not too analytical, but yeah, I was curious what your impressions of it were, what felt strange, what what jumped out at you. Well, the whole thing felt strange because you feel like you're going along and then there is such intense ambiguity. And I think that a lot of the ways that the roaches themselves are described in this, aside from at last we killed the roaches, that's kind of it and they disappear and then you just hear about the ways that they were removed and you pointed out that line uh the cooking pots were ours again and that to me just i imagine dozens of those little jerks running all over the cookware and it's so viscerally gross and upsetting and terrible and so you're right there with her and you want them all to die and like part of what interests me about this poem is like by the end, I don't wish that the roaches were still there by any stretch, but I find it interesting that their removal could bring up such a deep reflection on the part of someone who is so young. The introduction of the specific age gets you to this place of innocence where an act like killing roaches could have this kind of impact on somebody. Because I think even if you're a sensitive person, a lot of people don't have time to feel about roaches. You know, like, <laughs> if the Men in Black documentary taught us anything, it's that you can, <laughs> like, feel okay about getting rid of the bugs, even if they come from space. You know, like, they're bad. Um, so, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you think it's important that the person, I mean, it sounds like Clifton may be describing her own experience here, but sort of putting that aside a little bit, is it important that the person is young to have this reaction? Yeah, no, that's such a good point. Um, and I think it's like, it's actually something that I was thinking about a lot. And is one of the kinds of things that writing can do particularly well, I think, not just poetry, but, you know, fiction and nonfiction as well, where you have, you know, there's two state, there's two speakers, like there's the young speaker who's 12, who's in the moment, and then there's the speaker who's recalling it, right? And this kind of like distance can be very productive. There's a novel called So Long, See You Tomorrow by William Maxwell, which is like a very short novel about this like murder that happens in this small town. And the, the speaker is kind of remembering back to this moment and is, has been haunted by it. And actually similar to The Great Gatsby, where you have the events and then you have, you know, the narrator who's sort of writing this and recalling this from the sort of plot of what happens in those books could be like an exciting pulp fiction book. You know, like there's a murder, 
there's crazy things going down. But the the kind of perspective that the distance the narrator has sort of allows the book to acquire, I think, like a deeper resonance and also a more like complicated relationship to what's going on. And so to bring it to this poem, one thing especially that poems can do is like the voice can kind of inhabit both ages at the same time, which is something that I feel like is working in this poem and is very interesting. So like you have, at last we killed the roaches, mama and me. Mama, the use of that word feels very like the speaker's 12. You know, there's like another poem. um, This book is part of the collection, An Ordinary Woman. I think it was published in like 74. And the next poem, the speaker uses mother, like my mother, da-da-da. So like the use of mama is very deliberate. But then you get to some part like such cleanliness was grace when I was 12. Obviously, the use of when I was 12 puts us in the, the speaker as an adult But the idea and the phrasing of such cleanliness was grace is like such a more, I'm not going to say complex, but it's just, you can tell this is the older speaker thinking. And like such cleanliness was grace. What I love about that, I just love that phrase. But it's, it's also older because as a kid, you would feel that. Like you would be in your home and things would be clean, and you'd feel good. But to think about it in terms of grace and to be like, oh, like, that was important. The older speaker, you know, might have different ideas about what grace can be like or feel like or how to achieve a kind of grace. But like, is recognizing that, oh, this experience then is like what I value now as grace, even though it looks different. I really like that line. It put me a little bit in mind of just the simple cleanliness is next to godliness, like the old cliche almost rephrased. But I also really like, just generally as a personal preference, works that will elevate everyday life events or everyday situations with that kind of exalting language. Um, We've talked about a few instances where there is that kind of like, aha, big, you know, almost romanticism with a capital R moment as regard to like orchestral music or nature where you're being overwhelmed by these big, grand, either pieces of art or scenes out in nature, in the wilderness. We just talked about the poem about the oldest longleaf pine. And, you know, that's, you know, an obvious sense of reverie or, you know, brilliance happening where like, oh my God, this is hundreds of years old and I'm in the presence of something like that. But to have the wherewithal to notice with that level of feeling things that happen in your everyday life, I think is also really neat. And I like when poets are able to draw that out in unique and different ways, because I think there can also be a lot of cliched ways to say like, ah, the holiness of the text message or something where it's like, okay, you got a text, (laughs) we get it. It's like, and then the buzzing phone symbolized all of the connections lost and technology is maybe not so bad or something. You know, like there's a million ways that you see that done kind of inartfully. And I think when you play with that level of language, it can become 
easy to trip yourself up and to go way too heavy handed. But when you actually just take a very mundane moment and notice it as being more than that, I really appreciate when that's done artfully. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here, where, as you were saying, that specific feeling of finally cleaning out, in this case, the roach infestation, but it can be anything. Especially when you're a kid, it can just feel like the whole world is back in order. And it's, I think, particularly powerful from a child's perspective. And the elevation of the language there kind of gives you that right before the age is codified for you and like explicitly stated. That elevation gives you a sense that you're about to move into a new area of understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. And it's also, you know, thinking about what you were talking about with like cliched version of it. The everyday doesn't just provide an opportunity for like awe or like, you know, being overwhelmed by the beauty of something, although certainly that is an occasion for it. Like, you know, it can be any kind of deeper revelation about something that this can provide. And I think that this poem is like a great example of that, where like, say it's something with realizing what humans can be capable of. You know, there's so many huge moments one could talk about either through imaginative, you know, just thinking about horrible actions and atrocities that have happened in history and or like more serious personal things that one has witnessed or done or whatever, you know, that those can be occasions for being like, oh, crap, like I'm in a body that I don't quite have a full grip on and I can do things that I would not want to or something like sitting with that is a pretty profound concept for me anyway, but like to put it in terms of this kind of smaller moment of just trying to get the home not bug ridden, to then get the revelation out of that for some reason feels like it can be as or more powerful or powerful in a different kind of way, I guess. One in that it's interesting, like the extremity of the feeling, you know, the end is so intense, like my dreams were blood, my hands were blades, and it was murder, murder all over the place. Like the repetition of murder, like my dreams were blood, there's no comma, it's like a line break, uh, and then it goes, my hands were blades, and that's like like imagining your own hands being transformed into murder weapons or whatever, is like so intense, which I think is like allowed by the the actuality of the situation that it has come from, the fact that it is like this kind of small domestic moment in a, in a way. The other thing that is really interesting about this kind of, the kind of both being as a 12-year-old and also being like from a, you know, from an older age, which I think is maybe related to the, the revelation or the kind of thing that can come out of the small moment is like memories and things that have happened affect us, you know, to the present, right? There's extreme examples of traumatic incidents. There's a kind of like haunting that these memories can have and that, you know, like everyone has certain things that are very formative 
and that like um well another way to think about it is my this is all information that I've gotten from my very brilliant wife Sarita who studies a lot about this but there's a kind of psychological idea maybe we've talked about it on the podcast where growing up is not like the full realization of like one kind of person that I've been slowly becoming or whatever um that actually you contain sort of all of your selves inside of you so that you have like you know even as an adult you have your child self or you have your teenage self or you have these different ages in you that come out in certain times in in like a therapeutic context it seems like this is you know like particularly helpful if if there was some thing that happened that was traumatic to someone at a certain age and it's like why do i suddenly get all upset when this happens like in my adult life and according to this way of thinking about it what happens is your child self sort of recognizes the similarities in the situations and then has the appropriate response that they had as a child but then sort of takes over your body and suddenly you know you're reacting like as if you're in the world that you were as a child even though you're not um there's a way in which this poem has the speaker's adult self and child self coexisting or competing with each other and there are these moments like such cleanliness was grace when i was 12 that's like a great revelation to have about this moment like oh like now i'm sitting here thinking about my memories and i've you know i'm like wow that that memory really reveals what i valued or something but then it ends with like my dreams were blood my hands were blades and it was murder murder all over the place like the murder murder the way that the sentence becomes ungrammatical and becomes like someone saying like murder murder like you feel like the speaker is suddenly back in the dream right and like back re-experiencing this horrible dream of this horrible experience getting rid of the roaches and being like i am a murderer or whatever and so the way that this poem accomplishes both the great description of the memory and the kind of revelations about the memory you know of like what i am capable and such cleanliness was grace but also the kind of like visceral reality of the past that is bearing on the present yeah i just feel like that's amazing yeah i am fascinated by you know the way you said it it becoming ungrammatical but just the way that those last really three lines feel and then not so much my dreams were blood my hands were blades and it was murder murder all over the place um there's like a missing comma cuz you expect there to be a pause between murder and murder it was murder murder all over the place but they're right next to each other so they double up which i think is a fascinating choice just from like a line break and punctuation standpoint but it also makes me wonder more about the nature of these dreams because what i find myself not knowing at the end of the poem and i'm wondering if you have thoughts on this is are those dreams still about killing bugs or 
is this some instinctual connection that is being made from the like mass killing of these bugs to killing essentially i wonder if it's killing people and so i'm very curious about what place those last three lines are meant to leave us in because for me i definitely envision horrific nightmares where the speaker is slashing through like other people's bodies with their hands uh, and that is like really terrifying as an image yeah i think that's a great question i i definitely think that i don't know about like the specific nature of the dreams but i do think that the fear of the dream has to do with like a capacity for some kind of violence against people or something it's interesting the that other poem that I had mentioned, uh, maybe I can read it and it's it might clarify some things. She wrote this this poem I'm going to read like later after the first one. Cruelty. Don't talk to me about cruelty or what I am capable of. When I wanted the roaches dead, I wanted them dead and I killed them. I took a broom to their country and smashed and sliced without warning, without stopping, and I smiled all the time I was doing it. It was a holocaust of roaches, bodies, parts of bodies, red all over the ground. I didn't ask their names. They had no names worth knowing. Now I watch myself whenever I enter a room. I never know what I might do. That's fascinating, because that's also a little bit the direction I feel myself going with this poem, which is, I think, partially because red and tribe are right next to each other on one line. Um, obviously, it's outdated, reductive, horrific language to speak about Native people, but there's like a definite connection there for how like those who were eradicating them were speaking about them to have the word red right next to tribe, I think. Um, and I think there is a very strong, like, genocidal overtone to how the poem is describing this. Uh, and that goes alongside, like, a long history of dehumanizing language about mostly people with brown skin and equating them with either animals generally or just in the most dehumanizing way, insects. And in fact, this is something that was a major critique of the film Black Hawk Down at the beginning you were describing like video games and this is a critique that's also leveled at video games is that in their depiction of the faceless enemies that you slaughter very often there is a connection to historical racist depictions of black and brown people uh, and in the film Black Hawk Down this small group of heroic soldiers is set upon by what ends up being like an undifferentiated mass of like locals basically who are all dark-skinned and uh, I believe one reviewer even said that it was like a swarm of insects as a way of critiquing the film obviously not supporting that way of speaking about people but saying that part of what was bad about the film's representation is that that's what you're left with as an image heroic differentiated named white characters faced with like a dark mob. This is also a, a critique that's been leveled on the Lord of the Rings universe generally and the films themselves that you have the orcs, which end up being this army of dark-skinned creatures that our, you know, heroic white 
figures are set up against. And it seems like a connection that Clifton is making, especially more explicitly in that poem, but you get the sense of of that in this as well. There's definitely like a kind of one writer, I think, talked about it as like an ambivalence about one's own, you know, capacity for something. And and certainly the language that the poem uses has those kind of big, here it's tribe in this poem, you know, in, in the other poem, it's, you know, I took a broom to their country. It was a holocaust of roaches, lowercase holocaust, but still. It's interesting, too, because, you know, Clifton is black and often writes against the kind of dehumanizing violent forces that, you know, like American white supremacy has put on her. I don't know. It's it's a bold and complex choice to, you know, write these poems where you're also like a potential perpetrator in some kind of way. It's interesting. I was reading the the Toni Morrison forward to the collected poems. You know, she was saying how Clifton is often read as like this like wise mother figure who's sort of giving you empowering language to make you feel better. And there's a lot of examples of that. Like she has, you know, homage to my hips and ode to my uterus and like, you know, things things that are very like positive affirmations for black women. And Morrison was kind of like, this is all true, but there's like so much else going on in her work. And the the kind of thing that she was, I think, critiquing was there's an implied simplicity that's assumed by like that kind of encouraging poet or whatever. Like it's a similar kind of unfair way that Mary Oliver gets talked about as like a a good, wise nature poet or whatever. And I think that this poem and, and that other poem are such like great examples of the real, like intelligent, complicated ideas and feelings that, you know, Clifton is is sitting with and working through and doing so with such deceptive like it's interesting, you know, one great thing about this poem and this is true of most or maybe even all of Clifton's work is the language itself is there's no like fancy words in it. It's all language that you would find anywhere, you know, mama sprayed ceiling cleanliness is like the biggest word in the poem. And I think cleanliness was grace is the biggest concept that's introduced, but even that is done in simple language. It just happens to be a bigger idea. Exactly. And I think that the the great thing about that is it is accessible in certain ways to so many more people than, you know, a poem that uses like deliberately opaque language or whatever, or esoteric diction or something like that. But it also kind of hides the the complex in a in I think a good way things that are happening and the strange things that are happening. Like the cool thing, we've talked about that last sentence, but there's even more weird things about that sentence. So there's the, my dreams were blood, my hands were blades, and it was murder, murder all over the place. But the sentence starts, only for a few nights, and then not much. 
my dreams were blood, my hands were blades, and it was murder, murder all over the place. It has a very weird ordering of a sentence. Like when you start with only for a few nights, I have no idea what was only for a few nights. You only figure out what only happened for a few nights after the end. You know, the but there's these two clauses, only for a few nights and then not much, that are placed before the the kind of visceral moment, which I feel like is very strange and kind of deceptively complex. Yeah, I guess I, I was curious. I sort of feel like on one level, it's a it's a way of like these two voices together, the only for a few nights and then not much is kind of the the older voice thinking about it and being like, well, it wasn't that like it it wasn't that big of a deal. Like it only happened a couple times. And then the 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 young presence like erupts out of that. But it's like it's such a huge contrast. A the syntax is weird, but B only for a few nights and then not much is really trying to downplay the extremity of what comes after that. Like, only for a few nights it was murder all over the place. <laughs> you know? Well, absolutely. <laughs> what I find really interesting about that sentence construction too is that, at least for me when I was reading through it, initially, only for a few nights and then not much for me, first reflected back to the feeling of cleanliness as grace, which made it seem like for a few nights everything was kind of peaceful, but then my dreams were blood, my hands were blades, and it was murder, murder all over the place, and that felt like it extended on forever. Even yeah. though if you follow the sentence construction, those first two clauses seem to be limiting the time period for the, the blood dreams. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And it, it, it brings up something I'm sure I harp on a lot is like one of the great things about poetry and like lineated poetry is that you have this potential for these like two kinds of momentums or these two units of meaning. You have like the sentence and the line and they can be sort of pushing the reader in different directions. And so like what you identified there is like the way that the lines are working only for a few nights and then not much, you know, because they come right after the cleanliness was grace when I was 12, they feel like um, for, for longer than I think if it was just a prose thing, they feel like they're connected to that idea. Definitely. But then because they're also part of this sentence, by the end you realize that they are talking about the dreams but because like she's ordered it in this particular way, she's able to have those moments kind of like straddle both meanings, both the grace and the murder. Like, I feel like it's just so skillful. It's not a flashy poem in that it's not like, look at all my poetic moves that I can do. Like you can read through it. And I think you have that experience, but you wouldn't necessarily know or like think about what was weird about the sentence construction, unless you're a sentence syntax nerd like myself. Any last thoughts or uh, more thoughts? Not really. I did. I watched uh, Lucille Clifton. There's a reading of hers on YouTube in which she mentions that her kids 
told her, you wonder about things no one cares about, which I think (laughs) is such a funny, like, there's probably a lot of poets that feel that way, but I think particularly in the context of this poem, there are so many people who never give a second thought to killing roaches. And I just thought that that was a particularly appropriate comment made not relating to this poem in that reading, but it just made me think like, you know what? Yeah, people don't really care about killing roaches. Like, I didn't give it a second thought last night. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so gross. I need it out of my house. Um, (laughs) This is my home where I reside. But this is like a deeply reflective moment for her. And Mm. I really liked that. I like that, too. That's great. That's a great line. Um, Should we uh, read it again? I think we should. At last we killed the roaches. At last we killed the roaches, Mama and me. She sprayed, I swept the ceiling, and they fell, dying onto our shoulders, in our hair, covering us with red. The tribe was broken, the cooking pots were ours again, and we were glad. Such cleanliness was grace when I was twelve. Only for a few nights, and then not much. My dreams were blood, my hands were blades, and it was murder, murder all over the place. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this, please, please write a review on iTunes, or at the very least, rate us. You can keep up with our news and other poetry and book-related news at facebook.com slash close talking, or on Twitter, at close talking. If you have another reading of one of the poems we've discussed, think we got something wrong, have a new idea for a topic we should tackle, or uh, work we should discuss, please let us know. Tweet at us or shoot us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com.